Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Deuteronomy 28 will be our opening text. It's not in your notes, but that's okay. Is that all right? We're talking about motivated to serve God. Last week we had 16 individuals over the weekend, 15, 16, they were baptized in water. And after being baptized in water, we believe changes take place in people's lives. And it's so important that every single one of us, as we give ourselves and give our lives to Christ, that we serve him with our lives. When we Oftentimes we'll give a sinner's prayer and invite people to come and accept Christ. Next step is to do what? Serve him. Get somewhere where you can serve him because why he brought us out so that we would serve him. Look in Deuteronomy 28. Look at what it says. This, by the way, is listed under the curses. Because you didn't serve the Lord your God with joy and cheerful heart, even though you had an abundance of everything, you will serve your enemies. The Lord will send against you in famine, thirst, nakedness, and a lack of everything. He will place a, an iron yoke on your neck until he has destroyed you. Wow. I don't know about you, but I don't like that. You like that? Why would I want a yoke of iron? Iron's heavy. When Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Think about it. Take your pick. Light and easy or heavy and hard. I'd rather have the light and easy. But notice the word serve there. Because you serve not the Lord your God for all the wonderful things he has done for you. You see, we're talking about motivation. Motivation is the reason behind the things we do. How we act. Our behavior. Our conduct. Our pursuits in life. What motivates us? You could say that it's the driving force behind our lives. I'm sure at some point in your life, maybe in people's lives that you've heard about. They've heard this statement from a mother. I brought you into this world and I can take you out. Anybody ever hear that expression? And what she was saying to you was this. You may think everything is okay. You do this, you don't do that or whatever. But you got to go to bed sometime. And when you fall asleep, you're vulnerable to me. And I brought you in and I can take you out. So you better make your bed. So you better do your chores. We call that motivation, right? Well, when it comes to the Bible and Scripture, we see we have a revelation of individuals that supposedly serve God, but they serve God with either right or wrong motives. In the book of Matthew, we see something Jesus telling the Pharisees, look at what it says. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like unto whited sepulchers, 
which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead man's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Wow. So he was basically calling them out and saying, man, you look good on the surface. The facade looks really great. But on the inside, I know your heart. I know your motives. I know what drives you, what your driving force is. And so, you see, we have a revelation of different reasons why people serve supposedly God. And first of all, let's look at a couple, two or three here that are really not so good. In the book of Galatians chapter 3, we see Paul the Apostle making some statements to those that are really moved to serve God by legalism. Look at what it says. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you, that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been, set, has been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only what I learn of you. Receive ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? There were Judaizers undermining the teachings of uh, the, really the finished work of Christ, and Paul called them out on it. What they were saying was you have to add certain things in order for you to be saved, or in other words, for you to move on with God. You've got to do something. And Paul called them out and just said, all the things you say that they've got to do, you can't do. And the law, you could never keep. And so on and so forth. If you add anything to the finished work of Christ, you're wrong. So those that were involved in legalism said, you've got to keep the law. You've got to do this. You've got to keep the feast days. The command. Listen. Christ was sufficient. You don't need to keep a law to be saved. The law could never save anybody. But a lot of people... They supposedly serve God because why? They're motivated by legalism. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. Now, am I saying we shouldn't serve God and keep his laws? No, not at all. But the motive. You see, it all goes back to Christ. I don't want to exalt self and you shouldn't want to exalt self. Let's exalt the finished work of Christ and place him where he belongs in the highest seat of our hearts. I'm saved by the grace of God, aren't you? I'm saved by the efforts of Jesus, aren't you? It's his performance and not mine that got the job done. So I don't need to add anything to that. If I try to add anything to it, I'm wrong. Secondly, we know there are those that try to deal with false guilt. Now, I grew up in a religion where I was taught, basically, that in order for my sins to be forgiven, there's something I needed to do. Wasn't enough if I were to confess my sin to God. I had to confess my sin before a man. And then the man had to lay down some rules that I had to follow. Prayers I had to pray and an act of penance I needed to do. And if I did those things, then my guilt would be gone. Then my freedom would come. Well, 1 John 1, 9 tells me something different than that. And here's what it says. If we confess, which means to identify ourselves with our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins after we've done the dishes for our parents, shovel the driveway for our dad, cut the grass for the first time at our house. No. Does it say that there? 
He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to do what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, unconsciously, I was being taught that my sins cannot be wiped out or forgiven until I did something. I had to do all these things. And if I did those things, I'll tell you what, it worked. I felt great. I did it. Got the last dish done. Ah, I'm forgiven now. Thank God I'm forgiven now. Well, guess what? The blood's sufficient. He doesn't need my works. The blood is sufficient. You see, that's a misdirected teaching. That's making it look like I am doing something to achieve that goal. I can't, and neither can you. What can wash away our sin? Not the dishes. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And the third one is preeminence. Look at 3 John 3 John 2, uh, 9. I'm so used to 2. 9, verse 9. I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Notice that word preeminence. It means your desire is to be superior to other people, to surpass other people. This was the motive that he had. He had to stand out. Above the crowd. He had to be the one that people looked to. And so he was motivated to do things to make himself look good. Look at the book of Luke. Jesus addressed this. Chapter 18. He spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went into the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee and the other a publican. Think about that. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God... I thank thee that I'm not, as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I have or possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes to heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for every one that exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. What was this guy's motivation? Superior or superiority. He wanted to be above the rest. He, wanted to, he was doing what he was doing so God could look down upon him and just say, man, you are the best. That's not a good attitude. No, that publican said, man, I know if it wasn't for you, I'm lost. I've done some things that are wrong. I'm asking you for, forgive, you for forgiveness. Notice the man prayed with him, the Pharisee prayed with himself. Isn't that what Jesus said? But this guy, he reached out to God. So you can see the motive was wrong. The Pharisee's motive was wrong. And Jesus knew what was in the hearts of all men. And he called him out on it. Now, I believe the Bible reveals to us some clear and powerful motives for serving God and for living a godly lifestyle before him. And I want number one to really set in our hearts today. The first motive that you and I should have to serve God. God wants these candidates that got baptized in water to serve him with their lives. God wants those who give their hearts to Jesus to serve him with their lives. The Bible says way back in Exodus chapter 8 and verse 1, Let my people go, Moses said to Pharaoh, that they would serve me. God gave him that message. Tell them, let my people go that they might serve me. Notice 
You've been saved to serve. You've been delivered to serve. And that's exactly what Jesus was communicating to us as well. But number one, Jesus' sacrifice, our number one motive for serving God with our lives. And no one should have to tell us to do this. All we're going to do is give you a revelation of what Jesus has done. And if that doesn't drive us to our knees to serve him, then you know what? Nothing will. Nothing will. When I first got saved, you couldn't keep me from serving God. Sometimes I wonder about new births. Are they genuine? Are they truly genuine? Has Christ really come in and taken a sin-sick soul and put his life into it? Because you know why? When a baby's born into the world, you don't have to tell them to be hungry. They will scream at you and their mouths will go with their wide open going looking for something to drink. Why? Because they've been born into the world. And they got to survive. And from that infant state, what are they doing? They're trying to survive. Well, when you come to Christ, when you give your heart to Jesus, when you're truly born of the Spirit and washed in the blood of the Lamb, there should be a desire in the heart of that person to serve God. You couldn't keep me away from church. You couldn't keep me away from whatever I had to give to give to God. And that's too much to get into, but... Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, and here's what I really want to hit hard and heavy on today. For he, God the Father, had made him, Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What a scripture verse. God the Father made Jesus to become something that we were, so that we would no longer be that something, but we could become the sons and daughters of the Most High God. God laid on Him our sin debt. God laid on Him the penalty of our sin. God laid on Him the shame of our sin. Look in the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. What precious words fell from the lips of the prophet of God. Who has believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He has no form nor comeliness, and we shall see him. There is no beauty we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He is despised, and we esteemed him not. But surely, everybody say surely. surely. He hath borne our sickness and carried our pains. Those are the proper words. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Oh, somebody say amen. amen. God the Father laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all, the shame, the pain, the penalty of our sin and separation from God was all placed on him so that you and I could be born out of death into life. If that doesn't move us, let me go a step further. I shared this at a funeral this this weekend. And I know some challenged me on it, and that's okay. I'm 43 years in ministry. It's all right. They can say what they want. Remember when I talked about the, uh, the book, Like a Mighty Wind, and how the writer in the book said, 
man, we come to America and America, you people are so intelligent. You need strong concordances and you need all these different references and all that to find out what the Bible says. He said, we're just we just believe it. We simply believe it. But you got to go all this to, to prove it to be true. Well, we're not smart enough to do that. If he said cast out devils, then just cast out devils. Remember he said that? It was written in there? Mm -hmm. Okay, so when I read Acts chapter 2, and the first sermon ever preached after Pentecost fell, when the Holy Ghost fell on Pentecost, Peter was anointed to preach from on high, and when he did, there was a verse in chapter 2 that talks about how he, Jesus, speaking of Jesus, his soul was not left in hell, and his body didn't see corruption. If all I had was a King James Bible with me and no Strong's Concordance or Bible Gateway or Blue Letter Bible or anything like that, I would read the word, his soul was not left in hell and neither did his body see corruption. Okay? Well, I believed it. I just believed it. And you see, the writer of Acts is Luke. Luke wrote Acts. He wrote his own gospel, right? And when he talked about the two men that died, one went to Abraham's bosom and the other one went to where? Hell. One guy in torment, the other guy in comfort. Isn't it something that now they want to say when Peter said his soul was not left in hell, that wasn't really hell. It was Abraham's bosom. I said, well, Luke said it was hell. Luke, who wrote his gospel, said Abraham's bosom was for Lazarus. Why didn't he say Abraham's bosom? What am I getting at? If this doesn't get you to serve God, I don't know what will. I worked as a milk crane operator in the Youngstown Sheet and Tube Company from 1974 to 1978 before I went to school at Ramah. We made hot, we made seamless uh, pipe for the oil industry. We made the big ones. The billets that you put inside the furnace were brought to about 22 to 300, 2300 degrees. How many of you know that's hotter than your toaster? It's hot. Right? And they would melt, they would get them to the point where they were just like orange or so bright. Then you put them through a piercer and all that. Go through all this. My point is that furnace was so hot, you had, in summertime you had to wear thermos. If you were operating, my father was a heater operator. He would, actually, he, he was the head man on the furnace, okay? And he would wear long johns on his legs, his arms, put on long sleeve shirts. It's 90 degrees outside. I'm going, Dad, that's kind of foolish. He goes, well, if you're ever near that furnace, you would know what I'm doing. And I want you to see this. That furnace is so hot, 2,300 degrees. I could either walk in there for myself and never come out. Or Jesus could walk in there for a few hours and come out. So I would never have to walk in there ever again. So there you are before the furnace and you say, okay, the choice is yours now. You can go in there for eternity. But guess what? The worm dies not. And the fire is never quenched. Never, never, never quenched.
And if you ever listen to Bill Weiss, his 23 minutes in hell, he kind of gave a description of that. Someone is consumed with the fire, but then their bodies come back and consumed with the fire and the bodies and the screams and the screeching of all that. And the worm dies not. They eat the flesh of the people that are there, the resurrected flesh, the glorified, you could say, but it's the opposite of the glorification that we're going to have. It means it's never going to die where the worm dies not and eaten, just eaten over. Then 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 they're once again come back where the worm dies not. The fire's never quenched. And the screams of those that are in that place of suffering are unconscionable. Now, Jesus said, Father, I'm willing to go there. And if you kind of put it all together, three days and three nights, it's not really complete 24-hour day. Because you see, the Jewish time would start. And if it was just one hour of the day, it was considered the whole day. So we can minimize it and just say, let's say it was 24, even say even 30 hours. His soul was not left in hell. Who shall descend to the abyss to bring Christ up? Romans 10, 7 says. He was there. So you wouldn't have to go there. And when God looked down over the banisters of heaven, he said... It's enough. He shall, he shall see the travail of his soul. His soul was not left in hell. And he will say, it's enough, it's finished. My righteous servant shall justify many. And I can only pray that someday, when we, I haven't had popcorn since 1996. I had a tack of diverticulitis. I was told, no corn, no popcorn, no seeds, da, 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 da. So I said, it's not worth it. If you ever had the pain, it's not worth it. So it's not worth it. So I don't need it. I still don't need it. Since 1996, I'm waiting for the day in the showroom of God when we sit down in these theater seats of heaven and he brings out the popcorn. And I've got a glorified body. And I can even smell the butter and like it. I hate butter. I can't stomach butter. <laughs> it nauseates me. <laughs> and I just sit there with my mouth open wide and just sit back, kick back, and I watch when the Father looks down and sees Jesus is suffering and raises him from the pangs, P-A-N-G-S, of death and says, it's enough. And he raises him from the dead by the glory of the Father. And he's brought up out of that place. And when he raises him up, he raises all of us up with him. Praise God. And gives us life. He pulls us out of death into life by the resurrection of our Lord. And guess what? Don't have to even think about the second death. Why? Because I'm washed in the blood of the Lamb. And so are all of you. His soul was not left in hell his body didn't see corruption. Look in the book of Romans, chapter 6. We're no longer servants of sin. Praise God. We've been freed from sin. We're servants of God. For when you were servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? 
For the end of those things is death, but now being made free from sin. Why have I been made from sin? Because of Jesus. How I've been made free from sin is because of Jesus. I'm now a servant of righteousness. You have your fruit and the holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank God for the gift of God. Thank God for the gift of God. Eternal life. And look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, what it says here. Paul, addressing the same subject, says before these verses, he said, You were all children of wrath. We were all children of wrath. But God, who is rich in mercy for his, everybody say, great love. Great love wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in sins. We were dead. You were dead. I was dead. We were all dead in sin. Has quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved and hath raised us up together and made us sit together with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. If that work of Christ is not enough to get me to come to church and do something for Jesus... I don't know what is. If it's not enough. It's that simple. If I get a revelation of what he did for me, I'm going to want to do something for him. That motive for me is not to be seen of men. It wouldn't matter to me if he says, I want you to go and sweep the floor. Okay, clean the toilets. Okay. Maybe give a dollar here, a dollar there. Okay. Whatever you want to do. But you see, the motive is not to be seen of men like that Pharisee. But why? Lord, you did so much for me. It's a small little thing I could do for you. Man, I, I wish I could go back and just relive that for everybody. When I got saved, I came out of this church where I didn't hear it. I didn't know any of these things. Nothing. Man, I worked in that mill. I was so elated. They thought I was crazy. You know, here's this guy who got born again, and now he's like these other ones who wear the hard hats. Jesus saves. And now he's saying the same thing that these guys say. You know what? I just want to shout it from mountaintops. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Hallelujah. And when I got done with my shift, at the, either when I got done or when I, ha- when I had to go to work, and then I had to go to, let's say, to work after the shift, when I worked the night shift, we had Wednesday night services that it didn't matter what time it was. Um, let me back it up. I'm sorry. It was Thursday night services. Their midweek service was on a Thursday night. And you had no time to end the service. It was during that time when it, like the charismatic movement, when people came out of all that and you just went to church because you love God. Okay. I'd have my work clothes in the car. I'm going to confess it to you. Sometimes I changed in the car. I went down to the mill Parked in the way back where the train yard was. You couldn't see inside the car or anything like that. I just take off my clothes, put on my mill clothes, and I just walk in the back door and go to work. I was so on fire for God, you couldn't keep me away. I'm telling you, I just wanted to do something for God, and I didn't know, well, what can I do? What can I do? Well, I played guitar. I played guitar, and I just said, well, I, I let the, the pastor found out I played guitar. He also found out I was teaching a Bible study at my parents' house. He said, would you play guitar for us? I said, Sure. I just, back then, I just played a little rock and roll that you played way back when, you know, and all that, like Johnny Be Good and stuff like that. You know, so he called, he called me to play guitar. I go to play guitar. I started playing some lead guitar, like I knew how to play lead guitar. Stopped the whole service. He just looked over at me and thought, like, where'd you come from? You know. 
you asked me to play. I mean, I, I was going to play what I know to play. But I kind of tempered all that and just kind of, you know, adapted to, to that. My point was, I knew what Jesus did for me. No one had to tell me to serve him and go to church. No one had to tell, tell me to do anything. I just wanted to serve him because I knew what he did for me. Amen. Isn't that enough? Okay, that's number one. Now you're thinking right now, I know you're, you're, we're not going to get through all these. And you're right. We're not. But I want to get through number two. Because you see, having a revelation of what he's done for us is a revelation of God's love for us. God so loved the world that he sent Jesus to do all that I just said. To take our place on that cross. To take our place and suffer the wrath of God. So you and I wouldn't have to suffer the wrath of God. And that is the love of God. The love of God was found in Jesus but look at the next one. It's our love now. Okay, I have a revelation of what he's done for me. But now, secondly, his love. I am motivated by love for him. Look at 1 John 4.19. We love him. Why? Why? Because he first loved us. You see that revelation? I must see, first of all, how much he loves me. I know how much he loves me because he did for me what no being on the planet could ever do for me. No person in existence could ever do for me. And I could never do for myself. No amount of money could, never do, could ever do it for me. No amount of intelligence could ever do it for me. None of that could possibly get my sin-sick soul lost. That was lost and cleansed by the blood of Jesus. He did that for me out of love. Now, I love him because he first loved me. And so notice this here in the, notice here in the 1 John chapter 4. That was, look at John chapter 13 now. This might even be a revelation to all of us. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Do you notice the difference between the Old Testament commandment to love and the new? Didn't the old say, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? And didn't it say, love your neighbor as yourself? You notice how J Jesus raises the bar, and he doesn't include God in it. What's the new commandment? That you love one another as I have loved you. Whoa. When I get a revelation of how he loved me, which I just shared with you, a bit of it. Now I am motivated to love people the way he loved me. What a task. What a challenge. You laid down your life for me. And I'm to lay down my life for one another. As he said, and that's his commandment. Wow. He raises the bar. It's not as you love yourself. It's as, it's as he loved me. What a revelation. Look at John 21. We have a revelation of this great love that he has for us. And we stop and think it through and meditate upon that. And I think of how much he loved me. Now, of course, he's telling us to love each other the same way. But you see, when you see yourself and you see your flaws and you see your faults and you see all that and you think about that, 
and you think about that he loved you, even though with all the faults, the flaws, and etc. that we all have, he said, but I loved you. Now, I want you to do the same thing for other people. I want you to love them the same way I loved you. What a challenge. Look at the verse, John 21. So then they had dined, when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yeah, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yeah, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. And Jesus said unto him, well, then feed my sheep. He gave him three opportunities to right the wrong that he committed when he denied him three times. And he said, now, if you really love me, okay, then let that love for me manifest in doing something for me. Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Give yourself to serve me. See, when we really know what he's done for us, then we're moved to love him back. And the way Jesus said to love him back is to be actively involved in sitting in your living room watching live streaming. Oh, did I say that out loud? Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with it if you need it. But you know what? God wants us to be proactive. Amen. Don't forsake the assembling of yourself together as the manner of some is. And all the more when you see the day approaching. Why? Because we need one another. We're to uphold one another, help one another, be there for one another. To give ourselves for one another. God wants us to be proactive. He wants us to serve him from a heart of love. A love, yes, for him, but a love that manifests itself in loving other people the way he loved us. So the service of God is an act of love. We don't do it because I want to be seen what I'm doing here at the church or I do this, do that. Be honest, to be honest with you, I'd rather be in the background where I couldn't be seen, where I'm not seen, rather than being up front where you can be seen. It just puts more on you. I'd rather back, be in the back of a prayer closet somewhere and just say, just, Lord, just use me that way. But we've got to do what God calls us to do and tells us to do. So let's just close this out in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. These verses right here are ones that really impacted my life so many years ago. Because you see, people thought because I'm filled with the Holy Ghost, I speak with other tongues, or I've got this faith I can move a mountain and all that. I'm Look at me, I'm somebody big. I can believe God for this. I can believe God for that. Well, let me show you something. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, charity is the word agape, divine love not being the driving force behind my speaking in tongues, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and to understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not agape, divine love, which is based on principle and decision, I am nothing. Nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned. Whoa, when he said that part right there, I'm giving my body to be burned and have not love. It profits me what? 
nothing. So if love is not the driving force behind all the activity of my life, I'm a nobody. Right? Making a lot of noise to no profit. Their profits mean nothing. Wow. That's almost like an ouch. Look at me. I pray twice a week. I fast twice a week and I pray three times a day. Lord, look at me. And Jesus said, you're praying with yourself. I'm not looking at that. No, but if you say, Lord, I know I've missed the mark. But I'm telling you, I just need your forgiveness. And I open my heart to you. I give myself to you to be used as a vessel of honor to glorify your name. I don't want any credit for anything. I just want you to manifest your life through me. That's all I want. What a difference. What a difference. So who wants to be a nobody making a lot of noise to no profit, no benefit? There's, there's more. Unless you have another hour, we'll, we'll let it go. But there are more motivations. And we're going to share some of those probably next week. But you know what's happening? Judgment is beginning at the house of God. How many of you know that? Judgment is beginning at the house of God. He is separating the wheat from the chaff. He's getting to a place where he's finding out who is sincere and who is not. Who's in it for the wrong reasons and the wrong motives. And who's in for the right. And we have an opportunity to demonstrate to him that we desire to let him know Amen. that we love him. Amen. Not the praise of men. Mm -mm. Not the accolades that comes from the world. But if I want to have anyone to say well done, it's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And let me just say this last thing. Don't try to do something that God has called someone else to do. And don't envy what they're doing because you'd rather do it and think you can do it better than them. You know why? Because God chose them and He knows more than we do. You know, times I said to the Lord, why would you choose me out of a mill crane when you've got all these people in, in seminary? Why? Why would you choose me? I teach this little Bible study for my dad, and that's about all that I do. Whereas now it's time for you to go to Ramah. And, and say, why would you do that? I know my faults, my flaws, my shortcomings, and all that. You know something? When God calls you, God will gift you. I told him I can't speak in front of people. I sound like Moses to myself. I can't talk. I can't speak in front of people. Who made your mouth? Uh, you did, Lord. Then let me use it the way I want to. Amen. And right now he wants to use it by saying, stand up. 